Thank you, everyone, for being here, for allowing myself to join you in worshiping our Lord Jesus the Christ. I've got about a half hour with you this morning, and I want to maybe spend a couple minutes uh, sharing a little bit more about my background, about my story. We'll read scripture, we'll dig into scripture, we'll worship God together. I'm turning 42 in a couple months, and my wife and I, Min Hee, we've been married for about 16 years. We have three children, and maybe it's best that as I share with you the names of my children, that will probably give you the most accurate understanding of who, uh, who I am and how I seek to see the world as a follower of Jesus. Names are really important, right? Names are really important. When you have children, you ponder, you pray, you, you take surveys, you, you do a lot of things to figure out what should I name my children. So three children, my oldest is starting high school in a couple weeks. Let's pray right now. And uh, I have a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old, and their names are both biblical names and they're also pop culture names so as to suggest that i love the scriptures but i love how scriptures and the truth of god engages culture and the larger world both are really important uh, as one theologian says we hold the bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other so we can see god's truth engaging the world so my oldest daughter's name, her name is Jubilee, which is very fitting in light of what you did yesterday serving the city. Jubilee comes from the uh, Old Testament book called Leviticus, and it's about God restoring things, calling back people, God erasing debt, God restoring land, restoring his people. It also happens to be an X-Men character for some of you. Okay, wrong crowd. Okay, wrong crowd. Yeah, wrong crowd. Uh, my second daughter's name, her name is Trinity. And Trinity is very important theologically and in the Bible. And it's a character in this film called The Matrix. She hasn't seen it, so don't judge me yet. But it's from that film. And then my son's name, his name is Jedi. Jedi. He has a lot of pressure. Jedi, and some of you might be wondering, how is that biblical? It's very biblical. It comes from Solomon's Hebrew name, from the full name Jedediah. And so there are biographers who suspect that George Lucas got that from the Old Testament because the name means the chosen one, chosen beloved of God. So even to this day, my, my son and I, who's nine years old, we're huge Star Wars fans. We're doing our lightsaber matches, and I chop off his arm, and we reconcile, and I say, I'm your father, and we do this all the time, every single week. But part of the reason why I want to share this story with you, for a couple of you who might be single, or some of you who are expecting kids someday, uh, my... I have folks from around the country who email me and they ask me, uh, Pastor Eugene, how did you convince your wife to name your son Jedi? It's a good question. It's fair. 
And I thought that before we read the scripture, I would share some nuggets of wisdom with you if I can. Okay? Church, it's really important that you realize how important free will and choice is. It's one of God's greatest gifts to humanity to give us freedom and free will. So when you take away freedom or when someone feels like their back is against the wall, I guarantee you, even on a global scale, revolutions will take place. Uh, conflict can take place in churches. Conflicts can take place in marriages if a husband or wife feels like they have no freedom or no choice. So I remember about nine plus years ago going to my wife, and I said, Minhee, I love you. Which is true. You don't have to laugh at that. I love you. I love you, Minhee. And I said it in Korean, Minhee, 사랑해요. Which sounds, I don't know, more romantic for us. Minhee, I love you. And I said to her, I said, Minhee, I think, because we had been kind of arguing a little bit about this. She had said no. So I said, you know, Minhee, I love you. I think it is only fair and just that you, the mother of this child, you who've been carrying this child in your womb now for about eight months, it is only fair and just that you get to name our son. That's what I said. This is true. So I said to Minhee, here is your choice. It's Jedi or Frodo. One of those two. One of these two. My wife is wise, and she chose the right name. Luke chapter 4. In fact, let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, listen to these words from Scripture, starting from verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, around noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Church, in a few moments, I want to try to explain in the limited time 
some of the cultural significance of the scripture that we just read. You may have gone to church for a long time, maybe as a visitor or as a guest of some friends, you're joining this event for the first time. And so I'm going to just assume that there's not a lot of deep information about the relationship between Samaritans and Jews. We'll talk about that in a few moments because it is absolutely critical to the significance of this story. But before I do, I want to share with you how inspiring it is as one fellow believer that churches from all over the east side have gathered together to worship Jesus. But it's not just worshiping Jesus, the fact that it is accompanied by an amazing day of service yesterday. Now, it's not rocket science. Our words matter. Our songs matter. Our instruments matter. Our liturgy matters. Our programs matter. Our space matters. But I want you to know that when these things are not accompanied by service in action with our hands and in our lives, for me, it's empty. In fact, the Bible says that faith is pretty amazing, but faith in action changes the world. Now, let me give you an example. Several years ago, I was chatting with my youngest son, Jedi. And as I do with my children sometimes, I just ask, I say, Jedi, why do you love me? And part of it, maybe it's my insecurity, I don't know, but sometimes I just genuinely want to know. I said, Jedi, why do you love me? And I did my Jedi mind trick on him. And this is what Jedi said, and I thought it was very fascinating. He said, uh, because you prepare food for me. <laughs> and at first I said, it wasn't the answer I was looking for. And then he says, I said, well, wh wh what else? Why else do you love me? Because you play games with me. So I said, well, what else? When I get sick, Jedi said, you take care of me. You tuck me into bed you go to school with me you help me with my homework and he went on this list and after a while I began to realize that while it wasn't necessarily some of the answers that I was envisioning what he was saying is it's because you demonstrate love his answer wasn't just because you say so or because you wrote it somewhere. But the fact that with our faith, when it's accompanied by these expressions of love, watch out. Watch out, Eastside. When our faith in Jesus beyond words and services and songs, when it's accompanied by the very things that you did yesterday, but not a once a year programmatic thing, 
But as we're moved by the Holy Spirit, loving and serving our neighbors, even those that don't look like you, watch out. Watch out. One of the most amazing verses, at least in my reading, comes from John chapter 1. There's a version of the Bible called The Message written by a person named Eugene Peterson. And there's this one particular verse where it says that God moved into the neighborhood. Now think about that for a second. God moved into the neighborhood. Sometimes when we think about this thing called the incarnation, it's this big theological concept, but it's God of the cosmos, God of the universe, who chooses to relinquish the glory and the splendor of heaven to come through his son Jesus, and he moves into Bellevue. He moves into Issaquah. He moves into Kirkland. He moves into your respective schools, into your respective workplaces. He does this through the Holy Spirit, and he does this through the church, through you. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. In our story today, while some of you might be familiar with the story, maybe you've read it, maybe your pastors have preached on it, it's one of those stories that needs to be told again and again and again and again. As the Bible suggests, Jews and Samaritans did not associate with one another, okay? What I'm trying to say is that for the Jews, they looked at Samaritans and they basically said, Ew. They're dirty. They're mixed race. They're defiled. They're unclean. Get away from me. In fact, if you understand how people travel during those days, in order to avoid going through Samaria... They actually went all the way around, even around mountains, even around dangerous areas, just because they did not want anything to do with Samaritans. Now think about that for a second. If we wanted to go from Seattle to Bellevue, you simply cross 520. Okay, don't worry, don't think about the tolls for a second. You just, you, you, you just cross 520. But let's just say that we wanted to avoid whatever neighborhood, whatever people were living right off the bridge meant people would go all the way up north, all the way down south, just because they were considered despicable people. Unclean. Defiled. Foul people. That was the relationship. And so when Jesus initiates this conversation with the Samaritan woman, if I were to give you a modern translation, this is what she said. Really? Are you serious? Because it was unheard of. And she basically says, thinking that Jesus was slow or dumb. This is not a joke. 
I really believe she thought that Jesus was slow or dumb in some way. That Jesus did not understand what was going on. And she says, you are a Jew. Me, I'm a Samaritan. We do not hang out. We do not talk. We do not associate with one another. And the beauty of this story is that Jesus says, I absolutely know who you are. I see you. I see you. Now, I want you to think about those three words. I see you. Think for a moment of the greatest miracle that you can think of in reading the Bible. Just for a split second, think about the miracle that you're most familiar with, that you're most impressed with. For me, a couple come to my mind. Jesus walking on water, pretty cool. Jesus feeding 5,000 people with loaves and fish, pretty impressive. But when you look through the gospel stories, I think the most amazing thing in the ministry of Jesus, I know those miracles are amazing. The walking on the water, the healing of the sick, Talitha Kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And the girl gets up, all impressive. The thing that is the most amazing, church, is this. Listen to this. If you listen to this and you get this, you're going to understand the gospel in a very deep, profound way. The most amazing thing in the ministry of Jesus is that Jesus saw people. He saw people. Their humanity, their brokenness, their beauty. He saw that they were created in the image of God. What others saw when they saw the Samaritan woman is, man, she's a Samaritan. She's a woman. And back in the biblical times, women were not considered fully human, which was one of the reasons why when the Pharisees prayed, Several times every single day, there were three things that the Pharisees prayed on a, regular, on a regular basis as a prayer of gratitude. They said, God, Yahweh, I thank you that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. God, I thank you that I am a free person and not a slave. The third thing, wow, God. Thank you that I am a man and not a woman. What others saw in this woman, Samaritan, unclean, despicable, defiled, mixed race, you're a woman, you're not fully human. And the fact that scholars think that because she was fetching water alone around noon, she was probably an outcast. Right? That one person at your work, 
at your school, at your neighborhood, that one person in your church perhaps that others tend to gossip about. Is she the one? That's this woman. What others saw, Jesus sees this Samaritan woman and says, I, I see you. Now, let me give you a story. Maybe some of you aren't fully capturing what I'm trying to say. Uh, a couple decades ago, when I was in college, I double majored in psychology and in theater. I wasn't very good in theater. I, I think, was cast for one play. The other things, I did background stuff. In the one play that I was casted for, it was an off-college play about, um, about numerous things, but the character that I played, I was a homeless person in this play. I did my best. I memorized my lines. I did all of these things. But for whatever reason, Jesse, how are we with time? Five minutes. Uh, I remember in this play, the director came up to me and said, you're not good. <laughs> Just bluntly. He was no frills, very direct. You know, you're just not very good. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you're jumping on lines. You don't quite understand this character. So I said, well, I want to get better. I want to do this well. Tell me what I should do. And the director says, well, I want to invite you. This is in California near San Francisco. And he says, I, I want you to invite you to maybe spend a couple nights, spend a week out in the streets of San Francisco. That's your homework. And I said, really? Do it. If you're committed to your craft, do this because you just don't understand. So I went out on Market Street, a very large, prominent street in San Francisco, and in my stereotypes of what a homeless person looked like or dressed like or whatever it may be, I was out on the streets and I spent several nights sleeping, eating, begging, panhandling, walking, associating out on the streets. And one of the things that I did because I had no money was that I was in need of money. So I made myself a sign. I got myself a hat. And I sat on the streets of Market outside a large department store. And I basically sat there for several days panhandling for money. Now, some of you may have a variety of thoughts about this, but I want to share this story with you because I will never, ever forget. I actually made some decent coin. I made some decent money, but that's not the point. What amazed me about my several days on the streets is that even though I collected several dollars of coins, in my several days of sitting there, even as people walked by, and gave me their change. No one 
looked at me in the eyes. And that was something I've never experienced before. And for whatever reason, it dehumanized me. That they would walk by but say, I don't acknowledge you. I don't see you. You're not valued. You're not important. You're not significant. And the beauty of this story is that Jesus, whereas other people walked by, judged, condemned, this person was invisible, Jesus at this moment says to the Samaritan woman, I see you. I don't know who you are, but I want you to know with the utmost conviction this truth, God, Jesus, sees you, loves you, invites you, and through you, can you imagine the beauty of the kingdom of God, the beauty of the church? When brothers and sisters, children, youth, college, adults, when we are spread throughout the larger Puget Sound and through not only our words, but through our actions, we're able to communicate, I see you and God loves you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. It is a day that you have made, a day that you have created. And on this day, God, we confess that we have our lackings and shortcomings, and yet you say that you see us, and not only do you see us, but you love us. As we're empowered by this love, touched by this love, help us as one church, in various communities to go forth into the larger east side, the larger Puget Sound, to declare not just with our words, but with our very action that you see and love the world. God, we thank you and we love you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.